from legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au. Coming up, an exclusive chat with the former editor of the Queensland Times, Andrew Corner. Andrew was born in Ipswich and joins the show to talk about growing up in the city and his career as a print journalist. In this, the 150th episode of the podcast. It's Wednesday, November 17, 2021, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. Ipswich Today is all about Ipswich, and on the show today I'm joined by Andrew Corner, who is about as Ipswich as you can get, having been born and raised here, and except for a short excursion to Stanthorpe, has worked in Ipswich at the Queensland Times since 2007 until a couple of weeks ago. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks, Alan. Your family has a great connection with the region, dating back to about the 1860s. What can you tell us about that? On my dad's side, the family goes back to, yeah, about 1860 when they um, came over here on a boat from Germany, or Prussia, as it was called at the time. Um, So, yeah, that's where it all started. They they ended up somewhere, well, Roadvale, somewhere around Roadvale initially, the, the family farm sort of moved in between there and Colgan a few times from what I understand, and um, yeah, the, uh, a couple of generations of sort of farmers, dairy farmers, up until about the 60s, and that's when Dad sort of, the whole thing dropped off, and Dad decided to become a school teacher, and Dad met Mum out Boon away, and they both moved to Ipswich in the 70s, and here we are today. What are your earliest memories of growing up in Ipswich? Um, oh, mainly just being outside all the time. Like, Dad, Dad used to... Um, Dad used to put me to work across the road of Mrs. Nugent's lawn, mowing her lawn. She was an elderly lady that was one of the oldest residents in the area we're from, mm-hmm. in Flinders View. And, uh, so from from about the age of five, I was cutting a wheelbarrow around full of grass clippings. And um, a couple of years later, I was on the mower. Dad put me on the mower. Um, and apart from that, just playing footy with the, the boys around the street and... Um, yeah, that's, that's I, about all it was. Playing playing outside all the time was amazing. I can, yeah. I can relate to your mowing uh, experience, but I was on the north side out Petrie Way on a couple of acres, and that's the first job I remember too, funnily enough, is mowing mowing the yard. Let's talk about yeah. schooling. Primary and high school, where did you go? Uh, I was a race for you boy. So I started – actually, I went to Jacaranda Kendi over Bavel, which is still there. It's mm-hmm. got a different name now, I think. And, um, yeah, I went to Raceview Preschool, Raceview Primary, then Bremer High. So all state school all the way through. Nothing special for me. Did you shed a tear when uh, the old Bremer High was demolished? I, I, I do now. Like, I didn't at the time because mm. I, I knew how big the cracks were in that um, in that D block up the top there. It was pretty bad. Um, so I felt good, felt good for the kids that they were getting a, a, a decent facility after all that time. Um, but I do, um, when I drive past now, I do, yeah, I do feel a little bit sort of nostalgic about it, just because of how we had actually had a good spot there, you know, a good view from up there. So yeah. um, it's a bit of a shame, but that's life, isn't it? Things change. We've seen a lot of change around Ipswich in the last sort of 25 years or so. We certainly so have. have to accept it. What, what about uh, while you're at school? Were you an academic? Were you into sport or were you good at both? Um, well, I was always into sport. That was the main focus of mine through sort of primary school, high school. Um, 
when it comes to academia, not really like uh, as I got older, I I sort of moved more towards writing. That was what I sort of not specialised in, but I, I did. I was more enthusiastic about writing than maths, put it that way. And um, I sort of noticed that in myself, and I, I knew I had to if I was going to eventually uh, get a job somewhere, it was going to be something to do with writing. So that's what? sort of what I migrated towards. So this is in high school you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, around the age of probably 15 or something, mm. or maybe younger, I, I had an older sister who was a lot older, and she started introducing me to Hunter S. Thompson. And it's a familiar story for a lot of writers I know, but um, I was quite inspired by the way he wrote. Not, right. not so much the man himself, but um, the, the way he wrote and, and he had a certain rhythm and, and that's what got me. It was almost not like poetry, but I don't know. It's hard to explain the way he writes, but it, it did speak to me and I wanted to sort of emulate that myself, which a lot of writers do and they don't do very well. <laughs> um, but I um, I did I did just get into writing and I did see something else in it other than what I think other people see in it. And I, I thought that's what I want to do. So at the age of 15, did you think journalism was it or that came sometime later? Oh, well, it's funny. Like, I'm a lifetime QT reader because it was delivered to our front lawn every day from, well, before I was born. So I was I was out getting the paper, you know, first thing in the morning and unwrapping it for the old man, chucking it out of his head. And <laughs> um, so it was a relationship with the QT that was sort of separate to my writing ambitions that it was ingrained in the family too. So... It was sort of a natural thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's sort of how how the QT came into it, I suppose. And it was a while before I sort of got into the QT. I went out worked at it, like you said, out at Stanthorpe first, um, and sort of, and then came back. It was a sort of logical step to come back to Ipswich after that. So yeah. okay, we'll keep going with the QT story in a minute. But you, you've mentioned a couple of times already that you're really into sport, and you were very active on and off the field with Knight Soccer Club. Tell us about your time with the club and Cold Stars before that. Yeah, well, uh, I'd have, I'd have made. I was always a little rugby league player when I was a kid, but I'd have made when I was a new one called Nathan Ray, and I said, "Oh, he's talking about his soccer all the time." And he, I said, "Where do you play?" And he told me, "Cold Stars." So I got my parents to ring up Cold Stars. Funnily enough, it was uh, Kath McKendrick who was still at the club now, I think, or wow. I know Huey's still there yeah, behind the bar. But um, Kath was Kath McKendrick's the first person that's. Um, when, when I went down to the club and tried on my kit for the first time, she was she was the one down there helping. <laughs> she's still there. She's still there thirty odd years later. Wow! So they're, they're great. Uh, the McKendricks great volunteers down there, and um, yeah, so I was at Coal Stars from about nineteen ninety right up until well, it changed to the Ipswich Knights when it merged with Saints in about ninety seven, and stayed on until up until a few years ago. I was still playing metros down there. Right. Okay, yeah. what is, what is the, are the bones a bit tired now? Is that is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Old age took over. I would have liked to have kept playing a bit longer, but nah. um, you know, kids come along and, and other things happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Family distracts. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Let's get back on your job path. How and when did you crack your first job? Well, I was uh, after uni. I, I studied journalism at uni, and then uh, after that, I I didn't really have a gap year as such, but I sort of I, I was looking for work, and then nothing really came up so I thought I've got to earn money so I, I sort of worked for a landscaping labourer for a year or so I didn't, I didn't really get too enthusiastic about getting a job straight away in journalism because I was just enjoying life so um, it got to about a year of being a just bumming around being a labourer I was actually living in, in Newmarket for a bit there in Brisbane right 
And mum said, oh, come on, get off your ass and, and do something, you know. You yeah. gotta, you want to be a journalist, you've got to get a job. So, yeah, mum, mum sort of convinced me there to actually get serious about it. And it only took a couple of goes, and I got an interview at the Chronicle out at Toowoomba. And it was the wrong sort of job. It wasn't a reporter's job. Right. And, the, and the editor there, Jason Purdy, said, oh, you probably, I know you're not going to really like this job, but I know of a job going down at Stantalk. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll do anything, you know. So um, uh, after that, I got an interview down in Stantalk, and yeah, I got, I got that job. So that was my first gig, and it was just a two-person newsroom down there at the Border Post. That's a pretty old newspaper down there, but just a small one. Went out twice a week. So being out there, I just got a good um, general grounding and everything because I had to take photos and had to do country rounds. I had to go to cattle cattle sales and everything, things I've never really had to do before or think about. Mm. I had to get involved in straight away from the get-go and, and sort of learn learn all about it. So it was really good. Um, I wasn't very obviously very good at the time. I just came out of uni, didn't know much, you know. Gave me a really good basis just to learn about a lot of different things. Learning the ropes in the media generally in in, uh, in regional areas is is fantastic grounding. So how did that segue to the Queensland Times? Um, well, I just um, I just worked there a couple of years and I um, did as much as I could really. I just met as many people as I could. I really enjoyed myself out there actually because um, uh, they're really into their soccer and um, I, I was also playing music. I was playing in a band out there. It was really just a microcosm of Ipswich. Um, in a way, and so it worked really well for me. And um, the opportunity came up with the QT after I'd been down in Central for about two years. I just kept in touch with people that I knew that were at the QT, and an opportunity came up, and I went for it, and, and bang, I was gone. So it, it wasn't really a big, big thing at all. It just happened, um, and I went straight into the country rounds. At, at the time at the QT, we had a dedicated QT country section that was about three or four pages every day. And I just looked after that. That was my thing. And I did very similar to what I was doing in Stanfield, just travelled around all the country areas around, you know, West Morton, basically. So Esk and Tagulawa, Boona, Lockie Valley, all around there, and just uh, covered as many stories as I could, lots of rural issues and things like that. Take us inside the corridors of the Queensland Times back then, Andrew. What were the characters and and who were your mentors? Well, it was a different. It was a lot different because it was just out of that. Um, they'd just closed the printing press the year before, about two thousand six, I think. But there were still a lot of the old older heads around. Like a lot of the compositors were still there. They had their little section. It was, it was very much the old QT still, even though the, the printing press was over and done with by then. Paper was getting printed. Elsewhere, Yandina, Warwick, or somewhere like that, Toowoomba yes. sometimes. Yes. Um, but but back then, yeah, the, the characters were they like some of them lasted a fair while after that, which is really good for me because you know like it's good to just you get so much knowledge off those old older heads. And we had a couple of sub editors. You know, sub editors are unheard of now at newspapers. They're a dying breed. They're almost gone. Um, but luck, luckily enough, back then we still had them. So if you wrote a story and a sub looked at it and they had something silly in it. You know, they'd pick that stuff up straight away and they'd, they'd put you to task for it. So, you know, straight away you're learning a lot off those sort of people. I think the sub-editors were fantastic for their local knowledge, Andrew. Uh, you That's know, right. The, the yeah. cadet reporters come in, the new reporters come in, and they, you know, they know all the places, every nook and cranny of the region, and are great for correcting those sorts of mistakes. Exactly. It's things that the editor, the editors themselves can't always get to. You know, editors no. have got a lot of responsibilities. They've mm. got to meet people. They've got to go to go and organise stuff. They don't always have that time to run their eyes over every story. So 
subs are because they just read so much content all the time, so many different stories. They they naturally know heaps about their area. They'll pull you up if you know if you if you call it Red Bank instead of Red Bank Plains or vice versa. They're the kind of person that'll pull you up on that straight away. Oh, Brisbane Street or Brisbane Road, yeah, there's some good yeah. ones. <laughs> that's the kind of knowledge that um, you know readers notice it straight away. Of course they do. Um, but when you're in that pressure of a newsroom environment and you're a young reporter, sometimes you get it wrong. You know. It's not all laughs being a journalist. In any one day, you meet people from all walks of life, some not so pleasant. What's been your most memorable encounter? Um, Well, look, there's been dozens and dozens of them. I remember early on in my first year, it was probably sort of later in the year in 2007, and they tried to move um, Robert John Farden into North Ipswich, into a particular street in North Ipswich. I do remember Uh, that, Robert John Farden is a renowned uh, rapist, pedophile. Uh, They tried to move him into a street, and it just happened to be right next door or opposite to a guy that he'd been in jail with. And there was a big uh, hoo-ha. There was a big hoo-ha out on the street, and this bloke who'd been in jail with, with Robert Farden was absolutely going off. So me, me, and uh, Damien Dunlop, a photographer, showed up, and and we were sort of greeted by this bloke out on the street, no shirt on, just yelling and screaming, carrying on. Some of the things you were saying, obviously, I can't really probably repeat on your show. No, please Alan. don't. Yeah, please but, don't. <laughs> but that that was one thing that sticks out because. Being only, well, fairly new, I'd never encountered anything like that in Stanthorpe. Obviously, it wasn't that big of a place. Um, but little little experiences like that, you know, you, you do take a lot from them. To balance that out, you also meet some wonderful, genuine people who absolutely love this city. And I'm thinking of the volunteers, the sporting champions. Who sticks in your mind and why? Um, oh, look, I've met so many. Like, I really appreciate the sort of things that... Um, you know, uh, Ipswich Hospice and Hilda's House and all, and all the people that volunteer for those organisations and help run those organisations do. That's that's a big thing for me. Like, and, and the thing that until I was a reporter, I didn't really understand. All the, all the people that, you know, give their time after work, after hours to go to meetings and things that sort of characterise Ipswich like hospice is not something that every city has. No, great example. And, mm. um, and, and those sort of things, you know, like... Um, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of things really. It's just made up a lot of people like that that just give their time and and they do great things behind the scenes and they don't they don't really get a lot of credit for it, but it just helps make the city that that little bit better. That's what I really got to appreciate, you know, when I became a reporter here is how much of that stuff goes on. There's a tremendous amount of it goes on, and the wonderful thing is those volunteers across sport, across community groups, uh, yeah. even an example is the Show Society. They don't do it for the recognition; they do it for the love of the city. Yeah, that's right. In your time at the paper, Ipswich has gone through an incredible growth phase. It's generated many stories for and against development, and it's also a nursery for some very high-profile political leaders. What was your relationship like with the local police? Um, Yeah, mostly good. Um, Obviously, you know as well as anyone, Alan, that you you can have your disagreements with police. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're foes for life. You've got to maintain good relationships with people sometimes without getting, you know, too close. You keep people at arm's length. And I always tried to have that approach, you know, like especially with pollies, things can go up and down, pollies come and go. And and you just try to have a good professional relationship with people. Even if, you know, sometimes you might sometimes you might have like a bit of a disagreement on things, but I think the key to it is never to take it personally. That's how I tried to do things. And I think you did um, it well, but, Andrew. I think you did it very well. No, seriously. But, 
Thank you. you. Yeah, there's always, you know, there's always going to be challenges there. There's always going to be things, you know, sometimes you go from home from work feeling really bad about something that's happened, but at the end of the day, you know, you've got a job to do and, and you, you can't sort of forget about the fact that you've got, you've got readers out there that want to know what's going on. You became editor of the QT at one of the most momentous changes in the history of the paper, going digital and uh, no more print. Now, when this was announced to the staff, I can just imagine it was a day of tension and uh, highly charged mixed emotions. What, what was it like that day? Well, when all this sort of went down, I was on holidays. Um, so I, I got a call from Shannon Newley, the editor at the time, and she basically ran through everything that was going on. It was just massive changes, people being made redundant, not not many of us being left behind. We had to make some careful decisions about who was going to stay. And it was it was very hard. Like, as you know, you imagine telling people that have been at the paper for such a long time, yep. and there were quite a few of them that have been there for decades, that, um, you know, they don't have a job anymore, that, you know, the QT is not going to ever be what it is, what it was again. So Shannon was the one who really sort of bore all that on her shoulders and, and that was in her final days of being editor. It was extremely tough. Um, it was one of those times where you didn't want to be on leave. You wanted to be there for it to sort of help out. Um, so it was probably the, you know, the toughest, one of the toughest times in my career to be told, you know, there's no longer going to be a paper because that's, that's what I grew up my whole life sort of reading, um, wanting to be a part of. So, yeah, extremely tough. So it was a new way of doing the Queensland Times, and so you took the hot seat, better known as the editor's seat. Uh, talk us through the transition from printing a daily paper to online only. Um, well, for me, a big transition because I was so accustomed to doing a newspaper every day. What people at home might not sort of understand or, or grasp is the difference in the way your deadlines work. So, you know, with a paper, you've got your daily daily deadline, you've got that sort of anticipation of the deadline all day and then, you know, around, well, it used to be late at night when you finish, but it got earlier and earlier because of our changes in print. So, you know, you look forward to that deadline. Deadline hits, everything's done, your job's finished, you go home. As soon as you go to online, you've got these little deadlines all through the day and, you know, if you want, you could keep working 24 hours a day, seven days a week and your job would never be done. There's this feeling that the news just rolls on and on and on. It's always updating and things are always happening. So there's that total change in, in how you work, like your work habits and your patterns and the way you approach the job. And um, for those of us that had been in print for quite a while, it was a big adjustment to make, a big mental adjustment as much as anything and a bit of an emotional type thing as well because of that, the way you, you know, your brain's got to work differently because you don't have that high at the end of the day of being finished. I yeah. can imagine uh, one of the other uh, things going through your mind all the time is back in the days when you had the once-a-day deadline and the paper came out the next morning in print form, you could you could sit on a story for a few hours and, and have your exclusive story, whereas now if you sit on it for 30 minutes, you might be gazumped by somebody else. Exactly. That's a big consideration. You've got to think about who else is going to have this story, what are they going to do with it, when, is, when are they going to put it out, so there's you know, different sort of things to consider. But obviously back in the days of print, we knew who the other paper, papers were. We knew they were going to have a story the next day, generally speaking. TV networks, you know, they'd often beat you to the punch. They'd be on 6 o'clock that night, whereas your story would come out the next day. So one of the good things about online, I suppose, is that we could beat 
those TV stations to the punch. But now, of course, the likes of Channel 7, they've got stuff going out straight away as well. You know, they'll put a bit of footage out immediately after a crash and then cover it again on, on the news that night. So, I mean, everything's changed for, for everyone. It doesn't matter what medium you're in. Uh, online sort of rules, you know, yeah. it's the first one out. So, yeah, it's a difficult time for journos, you know. Recently, you decided to take a new career path in the public sector. And now that you're no longer with the QT and with the city... Uh, home to at least three other weekly papers that I can count. Where do you see it all heading? I, I've i never been more unsure about where everything's heading. I don't know if papers are going to, you know, there is a couple of papers back, printed papers. I hope they do go well. I think it's good for the city that there's multiple different choices now when it comes to news. It's not just the QT. It's not just the Kuru Mail. It's these other independent ones that have come through. Yes. And I think that's great. You know, it's it, it, regardless of what you think about these individual papers and how good they are, it is good there's, there's a choice there now. And, um, I, but I can't, I can't see print going on forever. I think there's going to come a time where it, it does get just abandoned and, and online is going to continue to rule, uh, even as much as I love still reading or having a newspaper in front of me. And that's based on experience, like what's happened to the QT, what's happened to the other papers all over Australia, you know, around the world probably too. I just can't see print going on forever. I hope it goes on for a while yet. But So that leaves us with, you know, online TV. Not many people are watching TV news anymore. I mean, it's all online, isn't it? You get it immediately. It's in your fingertips with your phone. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's the way things are going. Eventually. Andrew Corner, I'd like to wish you all the best in your new career path. Thanks for taking the time. Give us a few insights into growing up in Ipswich, life at the Queensland Times. Thanks for talking to Ipswich today. Thanks, Alan. Cheers. Ipswich today is supported by Kinetics people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au and click the Donate button on the homepage to make a payment through PayPal. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio and Amazon Music Podcasts. Or play Ipswich Today from smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.